This is Marching In, a brand new Southampton FC podcast hosted by me, Luke Innes, and Sam Apperton. Music is from the immensely talented Lawrence Norton. We would really appreciate a follow on Spotify and on Twitter, where you can find us at Marching In Pod. Now then, this is episode four of Marching In. My name is Luke. I'm Sam. Ah, Sam. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, all right. Little hungover. Played football last night. Suffered probably the worst dead leg I've ever suffered in my life. Uh, And I'm struggling to walk a little bit. But we did a pub quiz after uh, in Camberwell, which was good. And yeah, a few, few pints down. Did you win? We came 10th out of 12 teams, mate. So, yeah, about as good as Saints' performance over the weekend, I would, uh, I would say. That's the real quiz. That's the real quiz, yeah. Only one football question, actually, which I'll, um, I'll level at you now. Only two Frenchmen have scored over 100 Premier League goals. Can you name both of them? I'm, I'm really an mm, Yeah, too easy, isn't it? Well, on the, on the topic of quizzes... We are going to be doing a kind of end of pod quiz. So, yeah, uh, you've clearly set your stall out with a quick answer there. Um, yeah, we're going to be doing a Saints-Chelsea-themed quiz at the end of this. Set my standards quite high there, haven't I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and Elko was the one that took us longer than it probably should have done um, last night, but we got there in the end, Thierry being the obvious pick. Um, so we're doing a slight sort of different pod this time round in that, we had last week's pod with, with Dean Hammond, which we've had yeah, really great response to. It was good to have Dean on and talk about his time with Saints and, and everything else in between. Um, but we're six Premier League games in now and felt it was good to do a little bonus pod. So we're normally going to be a bi-weekly, but this one's being released a week apart from the last one. And yeah, th- there will be a lot to cover, Sam. So kind of how we fared across those six Premier League games. We progress in the cup which I know you were at um, Bramall Lane last week. So, yeah, a, a lot to cover. Um, we will kind of start naturally with the most recent game, which was a real disappointing performance against Wolves. How did you see this one? Oh, it, was just, it was just flat from the word go, wasn't it? I mean, neither team was very good. But, um, yeah, it just, it just reminded me of sort of the Pellegrino, almost Puel days where... We get forward, we get to the edge of the, we get to like 20, 25 yards out. We just forget, we just don't know what to do with it. And we haven't really got any creative players in our teams. I mean, we've discussed the number 10s to death on this podcast. They're just much for much, just and don't really do a lot. I mean, Redmond, who got hooked off against Sheffield United in midweek at half time, and then all of a sudden he's back in the starting lineup, I just don't, which I just don't understand. I'm not. I'm not really sure what Adam Armstrong is, or I'm not sure what he, what he does yet. Yet, I mean, obviously he started well with his goal against Everton, and since then it's been pretty underwhelming. I think he he just needs a goal from from anywhere really, and the link up play of him and Shea isn't isn't really coming off as of yet. And then 
I mean, one bit of quality. I mean, I say one bit of quality in the game, but you see, you watch our defending for that goal, and <laughs> Christ, I mean, there's a reason why we we spoke about Bednarak and the reason why he's not been in the team. And there you go. I mean, if he's getting if that's happening to him against Jimenez, then what's going to happen at the weekend against Lukaku? Mate, I thought exactly the same thing, right? Like he just gets absolutely bullied for that goal, and look on a kind of broader football level. I really chuff Raul Jimenez after what he suffered. Like it just always seems to happen against us. These sort of stories, um, but he just absolutely bullies Bednarek, and it's, it's almost like laughable um, what, what happens for that goal. And I thought exactly the same thing about Lukaku this upcoming weekend, which is not going to be a pretty sight, I don't think, against um, Bednarek and Salisu. On our creativity or lack thereof it just just sort of baffles me that we've seen this time and time again where I'm not going to go through the number 10s we've done it to death as you've said on our first few episodes there's no point doing it but just such a severe lack of creativity across the team we don't ever seem to get the ball just in behind the opposition's midfield in those little gaps where teams are typically most dangerous and I, I, I just don't don't see that happening from JWP or, or, or Romeo um, much at all right now. And I know Romeo, I thought he had an excellent game against City, but yeah, a typical sort of sideways, tepid football. Yeah, we're, we're missing Stuart Armstrong, but he's also not a player that, he's not one player you look at any, any other opposition player would look any other opposition fan would look at and think oh he's out and Southampton in a massively struggle he's he's a very he's a good he's a very good player Stuart Armstrong but we shouldn't suffer this much just because he's not in our team there should be other options yeah. coming we've got so so many different players there and no one's correct I mean I say about Armstrong it's not really working yet but how much he's, he's had probably a couple of good chances in, in the games he's played Mm. Should have scored against United, but uh, and that was all, all the only chance he's had so far that have been made by have really been made by anyone else. It's sort of been made by us us pressing teams. It's not been any creativity. His chance against United was because we pressed Maguire and won it back. His goal against Everton was because Michael Keane lost the ball. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's not really had any anything created for him. I think that point right there on our pressing creating chances is on one hand positive, but on the other hand, I I was reflecting, you know, before we started chatting about Ralph's tenure at the club. And I know, you know, he's from the school of that high pressing being a real big offensive weapon. You know, Klopp's famously said that the high press beats a creative number 10, you know, every day of the week in terms of what you can create from, from those areas. But if we don't win the ball back high, we just don't create anything. Like we, I, I have reflected on Ralph's entire time with the club and it's just not that kind of incisive football where we have clear attacking patterns that create much. If it's, if it's not the high press, it's nothing. No, and this, the formation in terms of the 4-2-2-2, because we've got Romeo and Ward-Prowse as, as two sitting, you've got the two strikers and then the two number 10s who are, who are wide 10s. There's no one in the middle that's creating anything. I know they're supposed to come in off the off off the off the off the wing, but 
I mean, obviously, since Sadich left a few years ago, no, we've had no one in the middle that can just mm. pick a pass or anything like that. And it's really, it's really reflected in our play at the moment. We're suffering so much because we just don't look like getting a goal from anywhere. Even the, even Walprowse's set pieces on Sunday were, were pretty poor. They most of them hit the first man, or they're just just a bit too long. And it's a bit it's weird to say our best attacking player is an eighteen-year-old right back who's played who's played six senior games. <laughs> I mean, genuinely, he, he is, right? And I think what to say about the fullbacks, I think KWP shouldn't, for me, be playing left back in those games. I think we should start him fullback on the right hand side, Perrault left hand side, and the number 10 positions are not working. So, therefore, Livramento, who has played wide right, wide left for Chelsea youth teams, should definitely be an option there should potentially be that player that is you know doing more from those wide areas but like you say they should be should be much more through the middle we never seem to bypass that that midfield block if you want to call it that the opposition set out against us and Wolves were fucking defensive against us I thought for the for the large part on on Sunday but it typically works like if you if you don't want to um yeah get press and you want to put that long ball like they created really just one opening and that is from Jose Sar lumping the ball up upfield right like we we just for one cannot be conceding goals like that but you just knew as soon as that goal went in we weren't creating much and I've, I've heard people say oh we had 18 shots and you know the system is still creating chances I, I mean I think you know we seem to create chances against the better teams that do play out from the back, like the penalty decision against City, the moments against United that you've touched on. But against teams like that, we just aren't creating chances. We might be having shots, and Armstrong's been quite shot-hungry since he's joined, and his shot stats are good, but they're not clear-cut opportunities. The XG on those those shots is not high. Like We, we aren't going to, to create much if we continue, I think, in this way. No, I mean, I can't really remember any clear chance we've had in the last few games it, it, to be honest like I know we hit the post against West Ham but that was sort of one that Brozier made made himself out of, out of nothing really but in terms of us having solid pressure on a team and then actually having a, a few big chances we just, I, just, I just can't really think of any off the top of my head like you said the 18 shots at the weekend most of them were just hot shots and long range and just or I think the only real chance I, chance I can remember is Livramento's shot that sort of Sar sort of yeah, um, unorthodoxly Yeah, and I mean, look, other good Saints podcasts out there are going to cover the um, ludicrousy of Shane Long coming on as our our goal threat, <laughs> and maybe not something we want to do to death. But I did think I was looking at we sort of created something down the left hand side, and I think Long got on the end of it in the end. But I reflected on it; it was Mohamed Salisu who was sort of the furthest player forward, overlapping on the left hand side to cross for Shane Long. And I did just despair at that point, thinking, like, what are we doing? What what is what is this that I'm seeing here when you've got the likes of, of Nathan Teller on the bench? I know um, you know, Brozier was thrown on but didn't do much, but structurally, like, that cannot be a good thing to have Salisu, our furthest player forward, to be crossing for Shane Long. It's it's twenty twenty one. Yeah, and I mean it's gonna happen again on Saturday because Brozier Brozier's not, not available. So Shane Long will probably be first first attacking sub off the bench if he continues not to pick Nathan Teller, which I mean 
just baffles me really. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the one. I'm not one of those people who thinks he's our savior. He's brilliant. He's gonna come come in and do really good stuff. But you just rather see him. <laughs> you just rather see him come on. And he's he's a player who's, who's going to get better. Shane Long is a player who's got in the seven years at the clubs had one half decent season, and other than that, he's just been what he is he's a very average player he can't I mean I'm not I'm not going to spend my time spend all the time slagging Shane Long off but <laughs> you just know what he is he's not going to score goals his conversion rate is what it is what it is yeah yeah I know and I, I kind of I think this sometimes about Ralph like for, as a Saints fan you love how involved he is emotionally within the football match but he I, I worry about him sometimes. Like he is so, so clearly, kind of in, invested in this. I, I do. I wish he maybe was a little bit more relaxed. And I think a few people have commented on things like his man management style comments he's made in the press about particular players. I think there was a comment about KWP, you know, saying look, Livermento is is better than him in moments right now. And how good is that going to be for his confidence? And maybe this um, harshness or bluntness that he can have with players is a reason that. You know, he hasn't maybe landed a, a, a bigger job than Southampton. But I think there is something that's not quite right there in terms of his ability to maybe even sense a mood within a stadium, right? To sense actually who might lift the crowd at this moment. What are we going to get from Shane Long that we haven't seen before? And what could Nathan Teller coming on, given the clamour for him from Saints fans, would maybe do in a moment like that? I know we've played a lot of games behind closed doors and... You know, Project Restart, Ralph was probably at his best when he was making those those sort of calls in games. But I just I don't think he, he kind of reads the room right. And he's so involved, so invested in that. And, and uh, yeah, I, I personally, I, I'm not really sure the right way to articulate it. But I just think something isn't isn't quite right there in terms of his maybe emotional intelligence, just ability to rise above it and, and kind of reflect rather than being so in the detail. I don't know if you've got kind of any thoughts along those lines. I mean, playing devil's advocate, I mean, I'm not. I don't want to make it make it have a reason for why he brought Shane Long on. But is it I mean, anything? Anything I can think of was he is someone who's good at winning the ball in the air, whereas none, most of our strikers aren't really. I mean, Brose is a bit good, he's quite tall, but Long's always had a good spring on him. That's the only reason I can think of why he brought him on over Teller. But in terms of, yeah, he's very, this is going off tangent a little bit, but last Tuesday, when we went up to Bramall Lane yeah. for the game, me and a couple of mates stayed up there for the night, and we were in, actually in the same hotel as the Saints team. Mm. And we were in a, the bar just about to go to the game, and we, we actually saw Ralph walk through the bar. We were going we to ask him for it, we went to go and ask him for a picture, which I never really do, but went in Rome and all that. <laughs> When in and a was dodgy very, hotel was, in Sheffield. Yeah. It was, <laughs> well, the team were there, so it couldn't have been too dodgy. <laughs> but um, we, yeah, we asked him for a picture. He said, oh, no, he's got the team meeting, so he couldn't, he couldn't have one. And um, he, he just looked very looked, looked very focused, very like almost in like a trance or something like that. He just seemed like he was really in the zone. Mm. He just just completely shows how emotionally invested he is. That's just before a team meeting, let alone before a game. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you're speaking to exactly the point, you know, with a good example of kind of what he's like. We have the infamous moment where he falls to his knees against Liverpool, which, you know, could be one of the defining moments of, of Ralph's time here. But that is indicative of a man that is so, you know, he's, he's bordering on obsessed. And I don't doubt that the best football managers out there are. But, you know, I, I sort of worry about his health sometimes. Like, I don't think he looks that well on the sidelines. Yeah, you just wonder whether sometimes he gets a bit too emotionally invested and like you said, it just clouds his judgment. And But I don't know, it's just us, it's us talking, for, talk, talking from a long way away and speculating. But Yeah, exactly. To, and, and look, I, guess, I, think... I guess we're just trying to find reasons for why he's not making that, that many decisions that we agree with. But there we go, yeah. And I, I think actually there's kind of that element of, look, we've just played Wolves, it was a really disappointing performance and we're going to reflect... Um, in a second on kind of where we see the first six games of the of the Premier League season and we've had some some pretty good moments across those six games right we're still without a win but a few of the notable performances we've had I think Ralph has got a lot right in game but that performance on Sunday we've seen what feels like 50 times before you know and it and it does hark back to managers of a bygone era but we really struggle to break teams down and whether that's a lack of creativity individually or structurally we're doing something wrong I don't know what it is and look I think we said we'd pod on the Wednesday after the game rather than the Monday just give ourselves a chance to cool down but it is mightily frustrating to see those sort of games play out as they did yeah and I know we're going to get on to how the season started but I think the whole the whole start of the season of how we're going to look at it hinged on the result on Sunday it had to be we just had to win that game really especially with um, this weekend's game coming up so it looks like we're going to it's a very good chance we would go into the second international break without a win I mean although it shows how how poor the Premier League is, is at the moment that there's, we haven't won a game and we're still <clears throat> not in the relegation zone after six games yeah yeah <clears throat> I guess we'll kind of make some some predictions or thoughts on the broader Premier League right now, but I do still think there's three teams worse than us, which we <laughs> we'll probably get get away with one again. I, I don't know, but yeah, it, it, it's it's not it's not a good place to be. I think going to that international break, you know, with, likely without a, a win across seven matches. I did see a thing and. Um, it's Saints by Numbers on Twitter who does a great job at just providing some stats about around Saints. But um, they did a thing where looking at the amount of time between games, so the amount of preparation that Ralph has with the team behind games and our result correlation. Obviously, we played on Tuesday night, as you as you said. When it is less than a week, or you know, if it's seven days plus, our points per game is about three times that of when there's a shorter timing between matches and again you know Ralph is a very detailed coach clearly he has very clear plans Um, I think without the ball it's much more clear to see those plans but when he's got time to work with the squad it does seem like he can get a definite tune out of them and you obviously had the ludicrous Pep Guardiola comments about how we had seven days to prepare they had 10 minutes which was an absolute joke right but Interestingly, he spoke to something that is actually quite important for Ralph. When he has that time with um, with the players, and he, he touched on it, I think, post-game against Wolves, saying, 
you know, we're going to work on some of this if we've got the time. And you think, well, every other Premier League manager, most of the best have a much less amount of time in between games than you do. Some of this needs to needs to be changed, and, and I think quite quickly. Yeah, I mean, you can't rely on having a week, week to prepare for every single game to, to put in decent performance. I think you look back on how good we were after... Um, after after the first lockdown, we came back came back for project restart. It's probably it's, it's obviously probably indicative of um, how how much Ralph relies on having time to sort of mould his team and get his get his methods across. But yeah, it's just it's it's, it's the it's the nature of the beast. You can't rely. It's, you have if you're in the cup, you're in, you're in the cup. You were still in the cup, and um, obviously you want to do well in the league. You can't rely on having seven days off to try and prepare the team every week it's just it just can't happen agreed Samuel and I am concerned that this could descend into uh yeah quite a uh, a negative pod if we don't park the Wolves conversation there and the broader Ralph conversation we have got some questions that have come our way about Ralph specifically um which we'll answer towards the back end of the pod but we will pause for a short break now before we look at the Sheffield United game So, Sam, you were there in the team hotel in, in Sheffield. <laughs> it was a game that we kind of scraped through. I know there was a big Shadham's chance at the end, which I don't quite know how. Is it is it Fodderingham, the, the Sheffield United keeper, that, yeah. that saved it? Well, I mean, unreal save. I hadn't really got the attention that it deserves on social, I don't think. But, yeah, unreal save, which could have won us it. But looking at the highlights, it seemed like it was a very even match and we kind of, yeah, almost limped over the line here. How How was the game? It was a very strange game. I mean, I was <clears throat> a few pints deep before before the game, but no, um, yeah, it just. I mean, Lianco's debut was uh, something to behold. It was. I mean, I'm not going to. I mean, I saw people overreacting on social media about him, saying, "What have you signed here? What's going on? What's going on?" But I mean, it's his first game in English football. We've got to give the guy a bit of time. Salisu looked a bit had had the sort of similar sort of thing last season, but yeah, he obviously had about. A few bumps to actually get get to grips with stuff, whereas he's almost been thrown in because of the injury to Jack Stevens, I'd imagine. But yeah, he he was almost like immediately in the first couple of minutes, he was in a, in a challenge of Ollie McBurney, who's a very physical striker, and he was not basically knocked on his ass. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't get any better from there. He gave the ball, all, I think he gave the ball away for. Bernie's goal actually I think he played quite a dodgy pass to Ward Prowse which was did, very yeah. short and uh, yeah they had a pr- we left ourselves pretty open for that goal Valerie was was Valerie he was he, I don't know why he's still I don't know why he's still there if he plays at Chelsea in the next round then yeah we're in we're in deep trouble <laughs> but yeah he, he just he's just not good enough he shouldn't I, I mean I I keep hearing how he he's improved in pre-season from certain people online, but he hasn't. He hasn't improved. <laughs> he, he just hasn't. We got we got two really good right backs now, to, and for the good of his career, he should have been should have been moved on really, either on loan or just or mm. just permanently. And then Nathan Redmond, who should be, I mean, we've seen before how much he seems to turn on against Championship clubs and cup competitions, and he didn't. He was. Absolutely abysmal. Hooked at half time, and then we had to bring on Ward Prowse, who 
I expect Ralph wanted to give him a night off. And there he is at half-time again, having to come on and almost have, try and save us. And, yeah, we, we, we managed to scrape through, and Brozier was very disappointing as well. He just didn't really look interested, mm. which is a big which is a big concern. And, missed, and obviously missed his penalty. Forced, forced made two very good saves in the shootout. But, yeah, it was just a very odd game. And when you make when Sheffield United make eleven changes as well as well, you should be get, getting through comfortably against them. And we just look very very bereft of any quality in that in that game, apart from Diallo and Teller, who did impress me. But then yeah, Diallo gets his goal, gets and then gets dropped for the next game. And I'm not saying he should have broken up ball prowess and Romeo, but maybe you could look at changing the formation. Yeah. And then Teller does very well as well. He's probably the two best players on the pitch, and neither neither of them get get a go against Wolves and Nathan Redmond straight back in, as I mentioned earlier. No, I mean I was thinking about El Yunusi was rewarded with a hat trick against Newport with a start in the following match. Diallo and Teller, from kind of what I've seen and read around the game, again impressed, and for neither to get meaningful minutes um, against against Wolves I don't think Diallo even came on did he uh, Long Brozier and I don't know who else came, came in but anyway I mean I, I think we've got a bit of a player in Diallo who's highly rated when he came to us and okay it takes a season to adjust but I think actually with his kind of passing and, and, and driving forward when, which we completely lack without Stuart Armstrong I think we we could have something there, and I think actually, you know, attempting something different in the middle may well have been the the way to go, and it clearly wasn't working against Wolves. Anyway, that aside, we obviously are through. <laughs> Whether we will be yeah. through, um, yeah, once we uh, visit Stamford Bridge for the second time in a in a short space of of time, who who knows? Fraser with two big Gine- saves. Gineppo Gine- was the other sub against Wolves. Gineppo was the other sub. Yeah, I guess less yes. said about that, the better, but but well remembered, Samuel. <laughs> no, I, just, I just looked online, found it. It was bothering me. Oh, look, well, well multitasked to continue a conversation while while tapping away. Um, yeah, we can um, we can maybe part the Sheffield United result there. I don't think we're reading too much into that. We're now going to move into, yeah, I kind of called it a state of the union on on Twitter. If we want to use that phrase, we are six. Premier League games into the season. I think that makes it about a sixth of the way into the Premier League season. So we've got plenty of games left, obviously, and, and it kind of it may be difficult to draw loads of conclusions. But we've seen a lot of positives in my mind from notable fixtures against the two Manchester clubs and, and West Ham. Then an okay performance against Newcastle and then two pretty poor performances against Everton and Wolves. We're going to lead into some listener questions around Ralph in or out, like probably quite um, glass half empty style questions, which is indicative of, of how the Saints fans are feeling. But yeah, how, how do you see us six games in and, and maybe to to ask a sort of extra question there? How many more points than what we have, which is four, did you think we'd have coming into this Chelsea game? Okay, I'll um, sort of start with how, you, how I think we, we are in terms of what, what I thought we would be. 
I mean, you look at the games that we've we've had, and they're normally games we lose. <laughs> I think I think nearly all of them we lost last season, didn't we? Apart from uh, nothing. Apart from West Ham at home, which was last season, was also nil nil. I think we lost. It was nil nil last season. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. Yeah. Actually, we lost lost at Newcastle, lost at home to Wolves, which we always seem to do. I think there was even a yeah, game we recently. Take, we take the lead. <laughs> yeah, we, I think there was even a game recently where maybe a couple of seasons ago now we were two 0 up at half time. I think were we not? Yeah, it was the Bednarek curse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on, Sammy. Yeah, I mean, if I if I looked at those fixtures, I I would think, I mean, probably maybe six points, but but then, but then I look at the result, look at the when I've actually looked at the games in isolation. Everton, probably wouldn't. I mean, we had, we had an okay first half. I don't think it was as good as some people said it was. And then we sort of collapsed in the second half as sort of was almost back to normal service resumed. United, I think I think we should have beaten United. No, they had a, they had about a twenty minute period in the second half where they were, they were probably the better team. But other than that, we had chances to win. Uh, City away. I mean, we're not we we're not really touched the penalty decision. I'm, I'm not as bothered about it as some people are and we could have won that game and then we were good we were good Sam just to jump in there against City right there are even spells where you expected City to get massively on top later on in the game even post the penalty decision and I just felt that we we controlled the game and actually broke nicely like I know they're the sort of team that wants to go for for three points there so it left a little bit more room in behind but I think that was a very, very impressive performance and one neither of us saw coming. We didn't even preview the game in our, our <laughs> pods because we were like, look, let's write it off. I think let's focus on, you know, upcoming games against West Ham and Wolves it was at the time. But that City performance sh- shouldn't kind of be forgotten given the doom and gloom on Sunday in my mind. Yeah, Dean Hammond did say we get a result up there. And he, was, he did. He was, he was right. Dino <laughs> called it. Yeah, that's probably Romeo's best performance I've seen for us. In a long, long time at the, at the Etihad that day, you, you just you look at their midfield. I mean, Gundogan and Fernandinho and Romeo Boston. Boston. He was so good. He did these little things where you can see, obviously, watching the game that the pass that looks like it's on is going to be closed down. And in that case, it was the likes of Fernandinho who were breaking to try and press him. And he would just delay the pass by a second and skip out who was pressing him. It just looked unreal right and no wonder Guardiola mm. makes comments about him being one of the best central midfielders in the Premier League after a performance like that now we watch him every week and we know he's not that consistent but he was fucking good yeah, it's almost a tailor-made game for him for Romeo mm. <clears throat> against a team you're not going to have a lot of the ball against he's going to be able to do a lot of interceptions a lot of pressing try and win the ball back in dangerous positions and then and then the flip side of Romeo is a game against Wolves at home, where we're gonna have we're gonna have more of the ball. Be we, we, the opposition will let us onto them, and we're gonna sort of run out of ideas when you, when he gets to the edge of the box, which is not a big, which is probably I shouldn't be having to go at him. It's not his game. His, his game isn't to create really. You just wonder whether sometimes you look at it and think maybe we go a bit more horse to the courses. You should just think that's our midfield partnership. That's what we should carry on with. Mm. maybe you should look at it and think who should we, should we bring someone else in to try and be a bit more open at home but it's a good point yeah, right I mean, like Ralph for me makes slightly strange decisions in 
those number 10 roles. But since Hoiberg's left, it literally has been JWP and Romeo when fit. And like you say, there are games that are tailor-made for Oriol to perform at a level that he can clearly perform. But when we're breaking down a deep defensive team, he isn't that player, right? Like he, he offers very little attacking threat. He, for me, doesn't see passes early enough that are kind of incisive, maybe between the lines. And that that's a big weakness to his game. And I think JWP's in some respect. He gives us so much yeah. in other areas. But we, we I think it was a big miss to not provide some creativity to our midfield positions coming out of the summer. We strengthened in so many good areas, but we touched on it coming into the season. How good would it have been to you know get a Thomas Delaney or someone that that can clearly spot those passes early and give us more in in kind of a creative sense yeah definitely i mean my my takeaway from the first six games is attacking wise it's it's a big struggle it's going to be a long long season i think we just, we can't get we we haven't been able to do it when ralph's been there of getting the the balance right between having a solid defense which you've had for the most part in recent games Obviously, had certain moments where we've, we've let let the opposition in, and then also being a being a big being a big attacking threat up front. We haven't been able to strike the balance about that at all, really, in, in the whole of Ralph's tenure. Yeah. And unless he does, I think it's, I think we're in big trouble this season. Yeah, and and you know you you know that I'm a Shea Adams fan, and and indeed I think that him and Armstrong early on in the season did look like they have something, but we have really struggled to create much for them, and when we have it into good areas around them. Both of them have, have looked poor, I'd say, in the last two to three games, which is frustrating, right? I know we have a bit of a plan B in Broger now, but relatively untested at this level. And I think we, we kind of need to maybe review this 10, 15 games into the season, what output we've had from the both of them. But, you know, Armstrong's sort of pot shots from edge of the box that... I think against Premier League quality defences and goalkeepers are likely to get blocked or saved. We we need to be thinking about how we can create more than that. And I know we've done this to kind of death in the first 30 minutes or so in, in the pod. Um, to zoom in on my second question for you, which was around, look, we look at those games. Do you think four points is a relatively good output? I mean, I wouldn't say good, but I'd say probably acceptable when you look at how we normally do against his opposition but no, I just I just think we're leaving us we're leaving it very open to put in, we're putting so much pressure on 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 the games after the international break mm. because you're basically looking at the Leeds and Burnley home games back to back and you're thinking you probably have to get at least four points in those two games and that's putting massive pressure on them. Yeah, and also the Watford game, the Watford game after that. I mean, we'll go into the. the I'm not going to go for every single game we've got coming up, but there's a good, there's a, there's what you'd call a in quotation marks, a kind of run, than what we've had. It's a good run, mate. Actually, put, I'm I'm thinking about. I think it's six games in total before we play a team who I would consider, you know, a game that we couldn't expect to pick up a result against, right? Which I think is Liverpool away, end of November. Um. Yeah, I think after the Watford game that you just touched on, we play Villa at home, then Norwich away. And, you know, we have had a relatively tough run and that continues on Saturday. But 
I would be really hopeful that we can do something. And given the, the rest in between the Chelsea game and then playing Leeds and Burnley, that Ralph clearly needs to get things right tactically, then I, I'm, I'm hopeful we can actually start putting, putting together some results. But like you say, if we don't, that's when those kind of Ralph out calls become ever louder. Yeah, I mean, I know we're going to get, I know we're going to get to the Ralph situation, and I mean, you look at the first six games, you think they've probably been okay, but then you can go back to the last, the last twenty, twenty, twenty-five games we've had, and how bad our record's been. It's just our it's record just in twenty twenty-one, mate, is just, it's just. I mean, it's since the, since the Liverpool game, it's embarrassing. Yeah, it's 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 like, not even. I mean, you, you call it relegation form, but like if you if you kind of stretch that across an annualised Premier League table, it would be like rock bottom. <laughs> you know. Yep. Yeah, it'd be like you'd be down there with the with the, with the Norwiches probably. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're gonna do a little um, little preview of Saturday's game, which. By the sounds of things, neither of us are too optimistic about. We're <laughs> going to uh, yeah, answer a few listener questions, which I'd be interested to kind of hear your take on as well. Um, and then we're finishing, as I've touched on with a quiz, looking at, yeah, there's, there's connections between Chelsea and Saints. That's the general theme, mate. Um, cool. So on that topic, you're going to Stamford Bridge on, on Saturday, are you? I am indeed, yeah, one of my local games. So yeah, I'll be oh. heading heading to Stamford Bridge on Saturday with uh I mean, I'm just looking forward to seeing seeing a mate seeing a mate for a few beers and then uh the game will almost get in the way. So I feel exactly the same. Yeah. I've got a few a few pints locked in uh, around the corner and then it's actually Sam, my first Saints game since well, first football match of note since West Ham away. Pre pre COVID, yeah, that was another bad one. Another bad one. Yeah, we got uh, we got quite uh, comfortably beat three one, I think. So yeah, I'm I'm buzzing for Saturday, but probably not for what I'm expecting on the pitch. Chatting to my mate that I'm going with, he was saying Saints do always seem to do okay in these type of fixtures. Um, I think we under Ralph we haven't lost at Stamford Bridge in a in a league match. No. Is that right? Yeah, we had two nil nil draw. We won two 0 and then we obviously the three all, the three all draw last season. So Ralph's got uh, two games this month to keep us uh, well two games in October to try and keep us unbeaten record at Stamford Bridge. Going. <laughs> yeah, might might not be too easy. In terms of personnel wise, what you think we'll do? My my gut says much of the same, but do you think Ralph might spring a surprise? No, I think it'll be much of the same. <laughs> I think it'll be. I mean, he may put Perrault back in. I, I, I would have. I'd, I always want a left foot, left footed player at left back. Perrault would. I, I, I would start. I mean, he's looked good when he's played Perrault. I'd, I'd start him. As much you can't just keep playing Walker Peters out of position just to just to keep his nose out just to, just to, so he doesn't have, keep his nose out of joint. Mm-hmm. You want you need to have the right players. Where Ralph went wrong a couple of years ago is he started putting square pegs in round holes and. He can't start doing that again because it's just it's just it's a, it's a long way it's a slippery slope. But in terms of yeah, it'll be Ward Prowse and Romeo. It'll probably be Redmond and Gineppo. I mean, I don't know if Armstrong's. I mean, weirdly, Armstrong was called up to the Scotland squad yesterday. I saw that. Not playing it. You don't think you don't think 
There's something else going on, do you? No, I mean, no, because it's not during the transfer window. If it, if he was off, then I think he it'd be a bit more to worry about. But no, I just don't see why Steve Clark's called him up. He's done it. With, he's done it with Callum McGregor at yes, Celtic as I well. He's missed the last few games. I saw that. I guess in in kind of, I was quite pleased to see that he'd been called up. Right, it, I know Ralph said he's close, but he must be pretty close if um, Clark's called him up. Boy, do we miss him, right? Be great to. Yeah, he just he just his run, he's just his runs he makes. He links the play up so well. He just got and he just brings a lot more quality to our team. I'll be quite excited about the the, the partnership if we can get him and Livermore down the right side together. I'll be quite excited by that one. And then it's going to be it's going to be Adams and Armstrong up front, isn't it? Unless he does, like you say, spring a surprise and change change shape. I mean, I, I'd like to see Nathan Teller be given a game. I mean, maybe you can sort of um, replicate what Obafemi did there a couple of years ago. But yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a long afternoon. I mean, they've got they've got a few players out. Obviously, N'Golo Kante tested positive for COVID. Yeah. I think Mason Mason Mount, Reese James, and I know Pulisic. They're all I think they're all doubtful for the weekend, mm. but. Even then, you're looking at looking at Lukaku, Werner. I mean, people I know people slag Werner off, but he still scored two very nice goals against us <laughs> last season. Yeah, no, um, I, I think it's obviously going to be a highly tough game. I do think watching them against City on Saturday, without that clear kind of link player between their deeper central midfielders and Lukaku. They struggled a little bit, and I know that was yeah. They miss Mason. They miss Mason. Yeah, exactly. And I think when Havertz didn't play on on Saturday, I know he didn't start. Werner played up top, and they 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 kind of they looked a little bit disjointed. I think they'll resort to type in trying to play that kind of link guy against us, given they're going to have much more of the ball than they did against City. But yeah, I think going into that game, it was almost a bit of a coin flip who was favourite for the title. I think coming out of it, it's still clear that City are favourites, but Chelsea's squad and depth could easily see that that turnaround. So, yeah, it's just going to be a, a, a real tough one, I think. Like you say, Kante being out is, is kind of a, a big one. I think Mount is probably the bigger miss as well there. But I don't know. It would be classic Saints to absolutely fuck up Sunday against Wolves and then do something <laughs> at Stamford Bridge. But personally I think we're, we're going to lose this one and I think Romelu might have a, a bit of a field day um, against our two centre-backs yeah I think he's scored as many goals against well him and he's scored nine against us in the Premier League I think he's only level, level with how many he scored against West Ham he scored no more against any other team so really? yeah it could be a long afternoon for us with... thanks for that Sam mate to, to finish <laughs> on uh, yeah, nice one. Well, we'll, um, we'll part the Chelsea chat there and we will take a short break before we will take some listener questions. So we've got three listener questions that we want to discuss, one of which is a pretty big one right now if you think about where we are as a club and the Saints fan base perhaps being split on this, but... The broader question is Ralph in or Ralph out? And then the follow-up that Paul Cox has given us is, if out, have we got a five-manager shortlist to, to go through? And I'll let you give your answer, Sam, and then I'll give mine, and then maybe we'll do some hypothetical replacements. Um, 
That's a big question. <laughs> I'm probably more airing towards out, which I didn't think I'd say. If you asked me this in Jan, like December time last year, I'd, because I'd probably say um, no, I wouldn't have to stay for years. He's been really good for us, but he just seems to fall into the same trap all the time and doesn't seem to be that. Doesn't seem to react to stuff in games. I mean, when it when it clicks with us, we look great. We look a really good team, but it's not doesn't it's not happened for. I mean, when did we last play? When did we last like have a really good performance and a win? I know we beat Fulham; it's our last win, but that was against a pretty pretty poor side, just just getting relegated. I don't think we've really played well since the Liverpool game. It's been, a, I mean, you can look back at the the obvious the obvious big defeats we've had. I don't, as we'll, as we'll touch on in a minute. The only the only um thing that probably said, makes me say not at the moment is the lack of um, options. But, yeah, I think if you're looking at it in isolation, where you don't, when you don't, I, I never think a reason not to sack a manager is because there's not there's no one to replace him. If he's, You can't just keep a manager forever because there's no good replacements. Mm. Yeah. It's not up to the fans to find replacements. The club should be... The club have got a network. They should have, should have names in the, in the self-appointed black box. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, I I think it's it's getting to the point now where questions have to be asked. Yeah, interesting. I didn't uh, I didn't expect you to to say that. I I'm still Ralph in, and a couple of kind of reasons why. And you touch on things like the black box, probably you know a word that shouldn't be banded around much, given what we've seen come out of it at times. <laughs> but it's clear that we don't have the options that we lined up managerially for some time, you know, I'd say pre the Hughes appointment, which was kind of a needs must that would be there to, to replace Ralph. And I get your point about, we can't just keep with a manager indefinitely if we're not progressing, but some kind of balance to this argument I feel is around actually who could be doing a better job with this squad of players you look at our net spend figures across the previous two to three seasons we are pretty much rock bottom of the of the Premier League I saw a latest table that says you know on net spend Saints are bottom I know there's a few other um, tables which look at clubs which have come up and down and we, we may be somewhere around there but he's clearly heavily invested into this football club he came with a big reputation and look, we've had some really damaging periods under him. No doubt the, the, the big results are those that stand out and will count against him. But he does have something as a, as a coach. Tactically, he can get so much spot on. And I think, again, when I say tactically, he can get so much spot on. It's defensively for me. It's without the ball, things we do, our shape as a team. And the only reason I would ever err on the side of of Ralph out would be you know what we've tried it for three plus years it hasn't actually worked and we've seen the same results play out but what is genuinely the alternative to to Ralph right now and for me I reflect and you know obviously neither of us know the inner workings of most football clubs but it is quite fucking hard to appoint the right manager <laughs> you know a lot of clubs get it wrong and I think I'm always of the opinion that you are sometimes better with, with kind of what you know and sticking with it. 
because it's not an easy job to appoint the right coach for a team like Saints, lowest net spend, you know, teams around us progressing quickly. So for me, Ralph is still, you know, very much the, the man to take this forward. But if you ask me this in another 10 games, I don't know. I really don't know is the, is the answer. I think it's up if we have this conversation after the Norwich game, we still, we've only won maybe one or two games and we're in big relegation trouble, then I think, yeah, I think we we may both be out on the side of Ralph out if we, we still haven't um, picked up many results after the Norwich game going into that Liverpool game, as you said. But yeah, it's a... Yeah. It's, it, as you said, it divides the fan base. There's there's a lot of people who haven't, have never really rated him too much. I mean, I, I know people... I, I know people myself who, who aren't big fans of him or never have been but um, yeah I mean I mean, I know you're going to ask me in a minute but who, who would be a replacement I genuinely I'm, I'm racking my brains I've no idea yeah. mate I've got a few names actually that, that you know in, in kind of honouring the the question in full from uh, Coxie I'll, uh, I'll, I'll throw some out there a couple I think are unlikely I've actually got seven names that I put down, so I hate to go all David Brent. You know, I've got five, but I've got two more if, if you need them. <laughs> that is a lot. Uh, yeah, so Lucien Favre, who was, seems to be very close to coaching Palace up until, um, you know, kind of a bit of a U-turn, is a highly experienced manager who clearly there was some pull to the Premier League and has got a pretty good record within the Bundesliga at teams like Mönchengladbach. And again, at Dortmund, it kind of ended relatively unceremoniously but still comes away with a pretty good reputation keeping that Dortmund link alive is Edin Terzic who was there last season taking over from Favre I think he's now in some kind of director position but was also assistant under Slaven Bilic at West Ham so has coached within the Premier League before and came away again from last season in the Bundesliga with a pretty good reputation young manager actually embodies on the touchline a bit of the kind of Ralph style investment in the game and emotionally connected but I think he did quite a lot of good things at bringing young players through um, another name which is a bit closer to home is Mark Robbins at Coventry who you know I haven't really followed them pre-championship too much but I've seen a lot on Twitter and beyond about what a good job he's done now and I think they sit maybe fourth at the moment in the championship after a really good start so, yeah, a few names kind of apart from those three, which for me were, were coaches we should definitely be looking at. Paolo Fonseca, who was close to going to Tottenham, would probably be the highest profile of them all, which is unlikely, but again, quite a good attacking coach. And all of the coaches, bar Mark Robbins, because I don't know a great deal about the type of football the commentary play, that would be the biggest kind of sea change for me, is moving from someone who, for me, Ralph, is an excellent defensive manager offensively we do lack options and we lack clear patterns so yeah those, those options Paolo Fonseca Edin Terzic Lucien Fabre few sort of curveball names Uwe Rosler has <laughs> a Saints connection there um, did a great job at Malmo I think he won the league actually with Malmo in Sweden um, didn't have such a good time at Fortuna Dusseldorf but has coached in the lower leagues in, in England as well I think Fleetwood was the job he did best um, and then a few others that, again, I probably am going to butcher the pronunciation, but um, Kietel Knutsen, who is the Bodo Glimt manager. So I hate to go all football hipster on you here, Sam, but Bodo Glimt are <laughs> basically a team in Norway from a city of about 50,000 people, not even a city, I think it's a town. And they won 
the Norwegian uh, Premier League last season. Just completely unheard of, and he's done a really good job there. Celtic were linked with him a little bit before they've, uh, yeah, uh, appointed their manager, whose name again I cannot pronounce, and I'm not going not going to. Post- um, Post- there we go. You, you got there for me, Sam. And the final one is Niels Fredriksson at Bromby. So I've, the two last ones, those kind of extra two. Um, if you need them, uh, are both Scandinavian <laughs> managers um, who I think, you know, actually, if we are casting that black box as wide as possible, we need to be considering getting managers that maybe we aren't completely familiar with right now who can do a good job, right? You look at the job that someone like Thomas Frank is doing, who was Dean Smith's number two at Brentford, but, you know, there's clearly good coaching and managerial talent out there. And I think it would be, yeah, kind of remiss of us not to look in, in those leagues. And for those that are calling for potentially someone like Eddie Howe to join, I'm very much not in that uh, in that camp. No, I was waiting for that name to come up. <laughs> Couldn't not, not mention it, right? So, yeah, we've answered Paul's question there, maybe as best we can. Follow-up from uh, a listener is, will Ralph be in charge by Christmas? So less about are we Ralph in or Ralph out, what do you actually think is going to happen? As I said before, I think... A lot hinges on those games after the international break. If we don't pick up the requisite amount of points against the likes of Burnley, Leeds, Watford, Norwich. Well, I know Norwich is after the international break, but this is the next international break. But after, and you've got Villa at home as well. If we're not picking up the requisite amount of points, I'm not really sure what the ballpark figure would be from those games. But yeah, I, I, I don't see it. I don't see him being there if he doesn't pick up enough points in those games. But then again... I know how how much the club have invested in Ralph in terms of the relationship he's got with Martin Simmons. I, I think it would take a lot. I think it would take a pretty abysmal run in those games for him to be sacked. And if it is an abysmal run in those games, then I think he should be sacked. Not sure if that answers. Yeah, fence. I realised that was a. I realised that was a very long. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I can kind of see the points behind what you're saying there, Sam. My gut feel is that he will be still in charge come Christmas and I think we'll, we'll, we'll kind of ride the easier run, um, hopefully a bit yeah, better. Yeah, gut, gut, feel, gut feel is yes. Yeah. 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 But I mean, it's, Maybe I should have said, said yes. <laughs> I'll cut that bit <laughs> out where you give the kind of um, different answer. <laughs> no, yeah, I think we're both gut feel is that yes. We, we feel he'll be in charge by Christmas. The follow-up question from the same listener was, how many genuine Premier League quality players are in our team? That is a good question. And... I don't think this will take too long. In terms, of, in terms of proven, I mean, you're looking at Walt Prowse, Romeo, Carl Walker-Peters. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Stuart Armstrong. Um, I mean, I know you're a big Trey Adams fan, but I'm still not convinced that he's definitely a Premier League quality player. And I'm the same. And Adam Armstrong's obviously the jury's jury's very much out. So yeah, I mean, and then Liveramento, I think is is a Premier League quality player, but obviously he's still very unproven. But I think he's, he's going to be a top top quality player. And then the goal. I mean, less said about the goalkeepers, the better. Yeah, mate, I don't think I have too much to add there. So I think we'd agree, JWP, Romeo, Stuart Armstrong, those three from yeah. our kind of 
midfielders, if we want to call them that. Carl Walker-Peters, with the kind of honourable mention to Tino, who uh, you know, looks very much Premier League quality and one of our best players within six games. And then I, I would add Shea Adams, but perhaps that's my kind of um, yeah, bias towards me thinking he's, he's got a lot to his game and, and is a pretty quality striker. But I think he would be the potentially in that kind of Venn diagram, the middle bit of like, yeah, p- perhaps. Um, and maybe Armstrong exists in that as well, given um, probably kind of too good for the championship. But you get a lot of players that are too good for that league, but ultimately kind of... The, the Dwight Gale... The Dwight Gale uh, exactly, yeah. Yeah, we could, we could kind of go through a, a full list of those players, but we won't. But um, yeah, I think Shea Adams and, and Armstrong currently exist in that who knows bracket, but... That does speak volumes, though, right, about the squad that Ralph yeah. has to work with and who we as Saints fans, and we watch them every week, feel can cut it at this level. So, yeah, kind of slightly bleak listener questions and maybe some bleak answers for you there, but uh, thanks very much for sending those in and hopefully we've answered them in as full a way as possible. We are now into the final part of the pod, which is our Saints quiz. Samuel Appleton, are you ready for yeah this? As I'll ever be. So, in our little pre-season taster pod, we did a quiz and Sam was unreal. So, I hate to kind of give you a bit of praise before potential fall, who knows. But I'm, I'm <laughs> hoping you repeat that performance. So, I've got, I think, six questions, but two are kind of similar. So, who, who knows what you want to call it. Um, if, uh, question one. In 2015, we had a famous 3-1 away win at Stamford Bridge. Can you name all three goal scorers? Uh, Stephen Davis, Sadio Mane, Graziano Pella. Yeah, that's one answer, not three. But uh, yeah, that's one <laughs> point, not three, shall I say. Uh, good start. The, the next two are kind of grouped together. Um, but I'm pitting against famous Saints and Chelsea players and you've got to tell me who scored more Premier League goals so the first one is Didier Drogba versus Matt Letizio Um, I think I'd go for Drogba correct Didier Drogba has 104 Premier League goals. Matt Letizia at a nice round 100. The next one is Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank versus Kevin Phillips. And we're looking for their combined Premier League goals, not just the goals they scored for Saints or Chelsea, obviously. So Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, his Leeds goals. Kevin Phillips, naturally, his Sunderland goals and beyond. So, yeah, Hasselbank versus Phillips. I'd go with Hasselbank because I think he got over 100. I don't think Phillips did. God, you've laid in a bit more knowledge. Fair play there, <laughs> mate. Yeah, very good answer. Much wider gap than Drogba versus uh, Latisse. Hasselbank scored 127 Premier League goals. Actually, a bit of a sort of Premier League legend, isn't he? Whereas Kevin Phillips probably sticks out in the memory for that one unreal season out at Sunderland, but only scored 92 Premier League goals. So you are completely correct. On that front, in what year did Graham Lesso move from Chelsea to Saints? Ooh. 
It was the same year Wayne Bridge moved to Chelsea. 2003. He's got it. He's only fucking got it. Fair play, mate. <laughs> it was indeed 2003. I don't know if Bridgie moved in the same year, but that would kind of make sense, wouldn't it? Um, uh, a year later, James Beattie scored a bit of a stunner 12 seconds in to a game at Stamford Bridge. The question I've got for you, which goalkeeper did he lob? Ooh. Man, that's just Patrick. Yeah, you've got it right, mate. I, thought, I think I think B scored an own goal in that game as well. I think he did. We he we definitely that. lost it, didn't we? We scored, scored after 12 seconds, yeah. but we lost it. I think it might have been the season we went down. Is yeah, it? yeah, it was the season yeah. we went down. Yeah, Mourinho's first, Mourinho's first season. Yes, yeah. Oh, mate, I don't know how many you've got right, but you've got all of them right. The last one is a bit of a sort of fun one. Don't know if, sure. if you're going to get this, but I guess if you get close, then, you know, I'll give you a pat on the back, sort of virtual pat on the back over Zoom. Uh, how many passes were there before Redmond's goal in 2019? According to the Saints website, I've got this from the Saints website, right? So pretty decent team goal. And I know there's a bit of dubious about the last pass, whether it comes off, you know, I think it gets kicked against Kante or someone. Anyway, if you ignore oh, yeah. that, how many passes preceded that goal? Ooh. Let's go for 30, 31. Mate, I thought it was really fucking high, like 31 when I looked at it. It was actually only 15, apparently. Oh. Yeah. So, look, you know. Well, you were quite it. a way off, but that was a, more of a fun one just to throw in. All of the actual questions that would be passable in a pub quiz, you uh, you excelled at. So, yeah, good job, Sammy. <laughs> Thanks, Very mate. good job, mate. And that concludes episode four of Marching In. Sam proving his mettle in the, in the quiz, given it was a bonus one. If we do bonus episodes in the future, we might throw in a few little fun ones like that. So, yeah, very well played, Sam. I'm hoping that you... Never ask me because I think it would just be embarrassing how much better you'd be than, than me at this. So I think I'll just be the quiz master. I'll get, I'll get some. I'll get some ready. <laughs> yeah, fair play, mate. All right then, listeners. Thanks for staying with us, Samuel. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, we'll see you all soon. <laughs>